1: And here is Betty Davis.
2: Hello. As Rachel Hendricks took the bridal bouquet from Celie's slim hand, as she listened to her sister's soft, sweet voice making the responses to Bryce Monroe's deep husky voice, her mind was walking up one whispering street and her heart was creeping down another. She was the maid of honor. She was hearing the man she loved pledge himself to another woman. She was watching the girl she loved come into a safe harbor of security and devotion. All through the reception, she smiled and nodded, and she said mechanically, Isn't it lovely? Yes, they were made for each other. And then she was in the bedroom that she and Celie had shared, helping the bride out of her wedding gown, helping her into her going away dress. Oh, I can't believe
3: it. It's all too wonderful. I'm a bride. I'm a bride. I'm a bride. I'm a wife. Oh, you're happy for me, aren't you, Rachel, dear? Very, very happy. You were the one who brought Bryce to the house first off. You were the one who found him for me. I'd never have met him if you hadn't brought him home that night.
4: No. You never would have met him, darling.
3: So I'm glad I brought him home. Oh, you used to talk about the new man in the office. You talked about him constantly. I thought you were falling for him, Rachel. It worried me in the beginning. And then I was so swept off my feet, nothing worried me. I know, dear. Stand still
4: now. I'm going to zip this dress up. It's like the paper on the wall. I don't want to pinch you. Oh,
3: It's so hard to stand still. <laughs> I want to dance. I want to jump. I want to sing at the at the top of my lungs. You're telling
4: me. Well, hold everything for one minute.
3: <laughs> there now. Oh. oh it just fit beautifully. You weren't in love with him, were you, Rachel? You didn't mind when I told you we were going to be married?
4: I was glad you found somebody you could love as much as you love Bryce. I was glad he'd found somebody to love as much as he loves you.
3: Oh, you're... You're the best there is, Rachel, dear. I hope before long you'll find somebody you can love. You know, right now I'm remembering all the things you've done for me ever since I was a little girl. You've worked to support me. You, you've you given me the most beautiful wedding that any girl ever had. Even a millionaire's daughter. Oh, Rachel, I love you so very, very much. And I feel terrible leaving you all alone and going off with brides. It, it seems so unfair.
4: Let me be the judge of that, Celie, darling. Oh, don't cry on your wedding day. <laughs> this is the best day of all.
5: How's everything, Celie? You almost ready? She's
4: all ready, Bryce. You may come in.
5: Hello, darling. The car's at the curb. I sneaked our suitcases out. They're locked away in the baggage compartment. Oh,
3: I'm scared. Yes, so Rice and confetti. Well, it's all part of the pattern, dear.
5: (laughs) Looks so little and slim and fragile as if a good handful of rice would knock her over. Well,
4: she's stronger than you think, Bryce. You'll be awfully good to her, won't you?
5: You need to ask that, Rachel. No, I don't. There's nothing much I can say to you, Rachel, except thank you for bringing us together. No, I... I can say this. Thank you for everything, I'm going to kiss my sister. Now, oh, goodbye.
4: Goodbye, Brad.
3: Oh, I'm so excited. I'm tingling all over. Now, Rachel, darling, you'll take care of yourself, won't you? I've got Bryce to take care of me, but you take care of yourself. <laughs>
1: Just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again, but first... You know,
6: it's the little things that count. Sometimes we forget that.
1: But Captain Andrew DeMory,
6: communications officer, 43rd Air Division Headquarters at Itazuke Air Base, and Mrs. DeMory didn't forget. They returned to the scene of their first station in Japan to bid farewell to many local friends before their return to the States. Captain DeMory admitted the existence of common problems in his assignments, but declared... These were all solved by mutual understanding and assistance. When Colonel Ladson G. Eskridge, Jr., commander of the 43rd Air Division, heard of the Demorey's visit, he said, Friendly gestures like this farewell visit illustrate that we are aware of our responsibilities in Japanese communities. And this is an example of what a devoted couple can accomplish concerning good community relations. By their illustration, Captain and Mrs. Demorey have given us all a thought to remember. We are Americans... As we go, so goes America.
1: And now, back to our story with Betty Davis.
2: When Rachel was alone in the apartment, alone with wilting flowers and scattered rice and confetti that stuck to the rugs and half-empty champagne glasses and melting ice cream, the tears began to slide down her cheeks slowly. She had loved Bryce very much, you see. She would have fought for him if the adversary had been anyone but Seeley. She felt not one shred of jealousy, not one, only that mixed sensation of heartbreak and relief. She'd so wanted Seeley to find the right man, but, oh, she'd wanted the right man herself, and they couldn't both have it. She started mechanically to clean up the mess, and then life hung on a thread until the honeymooners came home.
3: Oh, I didn't know anybody could be so happy, Rachel. You've never been so beautiful before. The way you
4: look is an advertisement for Bryce.
1: Thank you, Rachel.
4: Only a very good husband could make a girl glow the way you do.
3: (laughs) Well, Bryce doesn't look exactly down in the mouth. You know, Rachel, while we were away, we talked a lot about where we live. We're going house hunting in the suburbs on Sunday. Do You want to come along? Certainly not. Well, Bryce has the kind of idea we might buy a place way out in the country for weekends, haven't you, darling? Yeah, that's right. And then have a tiny apartment in New York. What do you think of that idea? Oh, that's good. And then if we find a farm, you'll have a place to go for your vacations. We'll stay in a hotel until we really decide. Well, there's plenty of room
4: for you and Bryce to stay here. This is an old, rambling apartment, you know.
3: Bryce sort of thought you'd give up this flat
4: now that you're alone. Well, I have all the
3: furniture and the rent's absurdly cheap. Well, maybe you're right. And if I get fed up with Bryce, I can come home to my sister.
5: Do you have any yellow soap in the house, Rachel? A certain mouth needs to be washed out with it.
3: A certain mouth needs to be kissed. I'll turn your back, Rachel, while my husband kisses me. <laughs>
2: Happiness packed down and running over, but not enough to share with a lonely woman. Not that Rachel resented her sister's happiness, she gloried in it. She and Bryce were still employed by the same firm, but in different departments. They seldom met except for an occasional luncheon when they happened to collide in the elevator. Celia and Bryce found a farm. Bryce did a remodeling job on the house. They found a tiny apartment, a stone throw from the office. Everything was fine. But when six months had gone by, Bryce called his sister-in-law on the intercom.
5: Can you have a bite with me this noon, Rachel? Love to. Well, let's make it early, shall we? There's something I want to discuss with you as soon as possible.
4: Sounds so serious, Bryce. What time is it now?
5: Uh, 12.15.
4: Well, give me five minutes. I'll meet you in the lobby downstairs.
5: Good girl. I'll be there waiting.
2: Luncheon table that Bryce aired his worry. Celie hadn't been well lately. She'd had strange, violent headaches. She'd complained of a, of a drowsiness that crept up from the soles of her feet to her thatch
4: of blonde curls.
5: I'm scared, Rachel. I'm admitting it frankly. Celie's lost a lot of weight and all of her pep.
4: I've noticed her face looks a trifle thin.
5: Has she always been so frail?
4: Always. From the time she was a baby. Has a doctor examined her lately?
5: Well, I'm going to take her to a specialist tonight. I, uh, I'm scared, Rachel. If I lost Celia, Don't I...
4: even suggest such a thing. You won't lose her, Bryce.
5: If I lost her, I don't know what I'd do. I wouldn't want to go on living.
2: But a man does carry on somehow. It was six months later that Rachel and Bryce again sat at the luncheon table. Neither of them felt very much like eating. Rachel held her head down so that Bryce couldn't see the agony in her eyes. Bryce worried his food with a fork.
5: First day back at the office for both of us. It's tough.
2: Yes.
4: We can be glad she didn't suffer at the last. We can be glad she just slipped away without any panic or or the pain of parting.
5: Been a tower of strength these last few months. I'll
4: keep on trying to be. As long as you need surplus strength.
5: I'll never go to the farm again. I'll settle it at a loss if necessary. I'd always see her in that absurd pink bonnet. I can't stand the empty apartment either.
4: Well, sublet the apartment. Live in a hotel for a while. Eat dinner with me at my place.
5: I feel so very close to you, Rachel.
4: And so you should. We both love ceiling very, very much. My boss said you were going on a business trip.
5: I'm starting at the end of the week. I can make a survey of our West Coast offices. It'll take a couple of months. I have an idea they whipped up the job out of whole cloth just to keep me from thinking too much. Well, I, I suppose we should get back to the office.
4: Yes, I have a mountain of work on my desk. It's accumulated since I... I'll... I'll see you tonight at dinner, Bryce. We'll try not to talk about Ceely. Maybe it'll be better if we do talk about
2: her. The business trip stretched out for two and a half months. Bryce came back looking less haunted. He was absurdly glad to see that Rachel had taken time out to meet his plane. During the year that followed, he was absurdly glad many times, for Rachel's thoughtfulness was a limitless thing. Time crept along, and then Celia had been dead two years. And one evening as they sat together in Rachel's living room, Bryce spoke abruptly.
5: Rachel, I, I want to ask you something, but I want you to promise before I ask that you won't be angry, that you won't cut me out of your life if the answer is no.
2: I
4: promise. I couldn't imagine life without you in it, Bryce
5: that's the one thing you could have said to, to give me courage. Rachel, will you marry me? What? Uh, this, this isn't a sudden idea. Uh, I was mighty interested in you before I ever met Celie. When Seely came along, I... I couldn't see anybody else or think of anybody else. And not even you. Well, I'll always treasure her memory. I'll always love her. If you marry me, she'll... Always be with us somehow, and yet... Well, it's been a strange thing seeing you night after night and going away from you night after night.
4: Yes, it has been strange. I think...
5: I think Celie would be glad to know that the two who loved her most, the two she loved most, are going to be together permanently.
4: I'm glad you said that. Yes. I think she would be happy.
1: In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back.
7: Servicemen are now insured in two different ways. That's because military service time can now be credited toward both Social Security and military retirement. And with sufficient years of service, that means two checks in your retired years after age 65. In planning for your retirement, remember that although you may become eligible for military service retirement after 20 years of active service, Social Security qualifications are a little different. Retirement under Social Security is based on attainment of a specified retirement age and not based on years of service. The retirement age under Social Security is different for men and women. Women can retire at age 62 if insured, while men must wait until age 65. Getting insured under Social Security requires at least 10 years of credit time. But if you're already in your 50s, you can be insured for Social Security with slightly less than 10 years of coverage. Have you investigated your Social Security benefits?
1: Now, back to our story with Betty Davis.
2: They took a house in the suburbs. Bryce didn't mention that the long trip on either end of the day would leave Rachel too alone. Why should he? Rachel wasn't a young woman. She wasn't an eager child like Celie. Somehow she couldn't tell Bryce how young she felt while they were on their honeymoon. She was a fine housekeeper. She was invariably cheerful when Bryce was around. But when she was alone, she sometimes sobbed softly and for a long while. She wanted so desperately to fill every corner of her husband's heart. And yet she couldn't use normal feminine tricks at the expense of her sister's memory. One night...
5: Uh, You're getting prettier all the time, Rachel.
4: But I'm the solid sort. You couldn't possibly compare me with Celie.
5: I wasn't comparing you with Celie. I wasn't even thinking of Celie at the moment.
4: But you should, dear. Her outline mustn't grow dim. You're
5: a strange girl, Rachel. A very strange girl.
2: One morning when Rachel drove Bryce to the train and they were saying goodbye on the station platform, he bent to kiss her cheek and smiled into her eyes and kissed her again. The second kiss had much, much more substance. How
5: your cheek's so soft and cool, Rachel, and you smell faintly of stock, that tall white stock we have in the garden.
4: I always use flowers, then. Seely liked heavy perfume, didn't she?
5: Well, I sometimes thought it was a shade too heavy.
4: Don't criticize Seely. Everything she did was completely perfect.
5: Well, why don't you speak for yourself, Rachel Alden? Well, so long I, I see a familiar puff of smoke on the horizon line.
2: Once when he got into a bad business tangle Bryce asked Rachel's advice And she straightened the tangle out for him With neatness and dispatch
5: That's the advantage of being married to a woman Who's had business experience You're just marvelous, darling
2: Seeley wanted to go to work,
4: but I wouldn't let her I thought she couldn't stand the long hours.
5: Poor little Celie. She knew but nothing about business. She couldn't even balance her own checkbook.
4: There was no reason why she should have to balance her checkbook. She had you to do it for her, and before she had you, she had me.
5: Yeah, she had me, and now you have me. And you're mighty wonderful, Rachel. Yes, you are wonderful. And I have you.
4: You're wonderful, too. At a moment like this... I think it's Celia.
5: Yeah, of course. Well, I'm going out for a walk. It's a bit stuffy in here.
2: Divided loyalty. A woman can torture herself... can tangle herself up... in skeins of memory. One day... Rachel went to the pastor of the church... Stood on their corner. He was an old man with a saintly smile and very keen eyes. She poured out her perplexities. She came to the summing up.
4: So, you see, it's this way I want Bryce, all of him. I want him to be mine. But if he's entirely mine, I'm taking him away from Sealy. I have all the years of my life, she had only one short year. Bryce tries to be nice to me to make me feel as if he loves me, but she's in his heart. I can't compete. I'm not jealous, Dr. Kingsley. Believe me, I'm not. I wouldn't rob Celie of anything. And yet, I want my share.
5: Well, we can't rob the dead of the love they had when they were on this earth, Mrs. Monroe. Neither can we pass that love on to them after they're gone can not you pretend that your sister no longer exists for your husband? Can't you be to him what any woman in love wants to be to her husband?
4: Not without feeling like the worst sort of cheat. My problem can't be solved, I'm afraid. It's done me good to talk it out. You're looking at your watch. I've taken up too much of your time. Oh, no,
3: I wasn't looking at my watch
5: for that reason. I have another apartment, but... I haven't quite finished with you, my dear. Oh, if you'd step into the next room and draw the poteers, I'll go on with
3: our discussion
5: in a very few minutes.
3: So Rachel
2: went into the next room and drew the curtain. And a few moments later, the doorbell rang and she heard a man's step and a murmured word of greeting from the old minister.
5: I had to come to you, Reverend. I'm in a spot here. Well, you see, Mrs. Monroe is my second wife, and my first wife was her sister. I loved my first wife very dearly and devotedly, but in a way it was the love of a grown man for a child. It it was a protective love. I love my second wife as a grown man loves a grown woman who walks beside him step by step, but I'm darned if I can... Pardon me, Reverend... If I can make her see it that way. Whenever an argument, a, a moment, begins to be sweet and tender and utterly ours, she, she drags Celie into it and... Did you hear something just then, Reverend? You uh, you mean the wind rustling the curtains? It sounded like the far-off echo of a woman crying. But I've come to you for advice, sir, but I don't suppose you can help me. That's why you're wrong, Mr. Monroe. I have helped you. Already.
2: For themselves. So many people stop short at invisible barriers and dream up words that have never been said and never will be said. Dr. Kingsley, the minister, was a wise man. He possessed the wisdom that comes not only from age and experience, but from something called divine instinct, which is a gift from God.
1: Is Betty Davis.
2: The Reverend Adam Kingsley was able to help the young and old, the rich and the poor, and people in all of these categories need help at one time or another. But at last there came a moment when he was hard pressed to help himself. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Street.
1: This program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were Eve McVeigh, Peggy Weber, Barney Phillips, and Victor Rodman. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley.